At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thanks for being here all week long. Uh, Carly Shimkus and Pete Hegseth will be on together. Admiral Stamvitas is standing by. Allison, I don't know if you know this, but you heard Carly's confidence by booking Pete with her. She says, why am I suddenly not enough? Are the ratings down when I'm on? And I said, Carly, why? I never saw this la- you know, lack of self-esteem before. What's going on with that? I mean, what was the reasoning behind that? We wanted Pete on, and Carly can only do the first hour, right? Yeah, I think we just offered it. We assumed that everyone okay. loved each other and there wouldn't be egos hurt, but clearly looks, Carly's getting her egos growing. Outside present company excluded, there's huge egos on the television radio side. I mean, these people that are on air are the worst. Obviously, present company excluded, clearly. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI ran amok under the Comey leadership. They utilized both myself and the Steele dossier to continue to get warrants with absolutely no foundation, and they turned this country upside down. And that is George Papadopoulos. He spent a couple of days in prison because of lying to the FBI or part of the whole uh, Russia hoax. Stunning. That's how I characterize what's happened so far with the Durham trial. And they grill Igor Deshenko, and we learn more about the depth of the corruption around this hoax. Everybody should be concerned. Number two. The foundation of what we announced yesterday is to reduce the num- the amount of irregular migration so that people can avail themselves of the lawful pathway. What is he even saying? Uh, Mayorkas, HHS secretary of failure, broken border, closing in on the Biden team as Dem City shout foul first at Republican governors. Now at the Democratic administrations, as schools, as shelters are overwhelmed, budgets are stretched and drugs flood through the border. Finally, the public is making a negligent administration take notice. Will they pay at the ballot box? Number one. The Saudis could convey to us, both privately uh, as well as publicly, um, their intention to reduce oil production. We made clear that that would be the wrong direction. Uh, calm down, Anthony Blinken. He's always so beside himself. Yeah, blame everybody. Let's, it's a blame of Palooza. Blame Putin price hike. Blame Putin and this. Blame, blame Saudi Arabia for the fact that we're paying in California over $7 a gallon for gas. And, oh yeah, vilify Republicans. That seems to be the response for the administration as our economy is roiled. Interest rate tries. Inflation remains at a 40-year high and all energy costs soar. However, this week's economic numbers make this a tough sell. For the Democrats at an inopportune time, October, when you have an election in November. 
So well, the president of the United States has, I love this, Axios comes out and says, the president's got a different strategy than Obama and Trump. They're going to do targeted appearances, not big rallies. I don't know. Is it a strategy? How many people will rally with President Biden ever? The biggest advantage he had to become president is that he didn't need to go in front of people at rallies because very few would show. He had a couple of rallies. About 100 people showed up after he passed legislation. So he's doing targeted appearances, for example, in Colorado to help out a Senate uh, senator named Michael Bennett. And they said that he went to this area that's rich with uh, oil and gas, and he declared it a drill-free zone, a sanctuary, a national park. And he says that's going to help Michael Bennett. I don't know. The people of Colorado, do they like paying exorbitant fees, 40% more for their utilities? Do they want to make sure people don't work in the oil and gas industry in Colorado? I know there's environmentalists. I know there's a green community. But Colorado's purple. And if he keeps this up, my hunch is it might turn red. So in terms of who to blame, it's pretty clear it is Saudi Arabia. Why? Well, what Saudi Arabia did is cut production down for 2 million barrels of oil a day. What does that mean for OPEC Plus? It means for the world market, we have less, which means the barrel goes up to from $78 to over $90 a barrel. That helps our oil and gas companies. Yeah, but they would love to do more, pump more, drill more, frack more. But this administration has leveled that off and refined less on top of that while not putting, I believe it's the Virgin Islands, where we have a refinery ready to go, but he's not using it. Because he wanted to sideline it because of this green religion he's in the middle of. So he wants to blame people, everybody but himself. Joe Lieberman, I think, nailed it with Neil Cavuto yesterday and on Saudi Arabia. So they're going to say, okay, we're not going to do a missile shield meeting uh, to show you we're upset. We are going to reevaluate our relationship with Saudi Arabia to show you we're upset. Just so you know. It's not Saudi Arabia or France. It's Saudi Arabia or Iran or Syria. That's the counter argument. And guess who has good relations with Saudi Arabia now? Israel. Who is our true ally? Israel. Who is now as allies with five other Islamic states in the region? Israel. Because of Saudi Arabia. They have been a tactical and practical ally of ours for 80 years. Far from perfect, but far preferred than Iran, who's killed over 200 of their citizens and just provided kamikaze drones to the Russians who are just shooting them into urban centers in Ukraine. Joe Lieberman, cut four. I know people here think the the Saudi uh, support for the OPEC oil cut was a slap in the face at the Biden administration. I must say that the Saudis feel that the administration has slapped them in the face a few times, and therefore they're not um, uh, anxious to do exactly what the administration asked them to do if they don't think it's in their economic self-interest, which they didn't in terms of the OPEC. So you have to understand, I know Saudi Arabia had uh, 19 hijackers on it, but that wasn't a Saudi policy. They allowed this Wahhabi religion to take root, Bin Laden to live there. The family was an influential family. I don't want to go relitigate 22 years ago. And the Saudis have some elements in there that we, are, that we find unsavory. But if you want the Saudi Arabia 
We want Yemen to be taken over by Iran, which is the Houthi rebels, then don't help Saudi Arabia. If you want to see the Saudi Arabia oil fields rocketed by Iran, then don't help Saudi Arabia. Because if their oil fields are rocketed, you think $90 a barrel is a lot? How about $250 a barrel? What we should do for any responsible president is we should be drilling and fracking. And we're not. Stephen Miller, cut six. Joe Biden was attempting to collude with multiple foreign powers to interfere in America's election. It is as clear an example of corruption as you will ever see. And what makes it all the more humiliating and debasing for our country is that when Donald Trump was in office, we were energy rich. We were energy abundant. We were overflowing. We had more energy than we knew what to do with. And Eric, just pause it there. Just so you know, he's responding to a Wall Street Journal report that Saudi Arabia said that there was they were getting pressured from the Biden administration not to not cut, but to wait on the cuts till after the election. It's something the administration denies. Let's continue. Of energy poverty on our country, energy dependence on our country. And now we have this spectacle of the president going around the country like a pauper, begging, pleading, scraping for energy from foreign powers because he won't produce energy here. And all of our people suffer every day as a result. So you want to alienate Saudi Arabia? They have a move, too. And their move is China. China does no demands. They have no values in ethics. Saudi Arabia is beginning to recognize women's right to drive, which is comically tragic. They're beginning to open up their society. But we also have 75,000 Americans there. We have a military base there. The UAE has a big one as well. But we also have a vital one in Saudi Arabia. We provide protection. We never thought they were perfect. What they look at in, in world politics, you have a real politics, real politic, and you say, who can help us? It doesn't mean who would I want to hang out with. It doesn't mean who is going to be allied like England with us in the future. But FDR saw it. Every president from here on in has seen it with uh, warts and all. To allow Senator Menendez and Senator Blumenthal and Senator Markey to say we're going to punish Saudi Arabia— for upping oil prices when they have done more to hurt our oil and gas and therefore our security than anyone else should not be tolerated. Please don't be deceived. For the president of the United States that I mentioned that he likes to blame and tell you don't believe your eyes. One more examples. First off, on our economy. I don't think I have to explain all of this to you. But for those of you who don't do your bills, meat is up 4%, eggs are up 30%, fish 8%, milk 15%, fruits and vegetables about 10%. Listen to this. When it comes to energy, gas nationwide probably up more in some places, 18%, electricity 15%. This is what people tell me. Utilities, 33% increase. Fuel oil, you like oil in your house? 58% increase. And the president wants to blame the Putin price hike, now Saudi Arabia. He only sees progress. 12. Americans are squeezed by the cost of living. It's been true for years, and folks don't need to be a report to tell them they're being squeezed. And today's report shows, though, some progress. Overall, inflation was 2% over the last three months. That's down from 11% over the prior three months. And that's progress, but a lot of it is a result of getting the cost of living at the gas pump down by more, not even California now, by more than a dollar nationally. Please look at your 401k. They tell you not to look at it. 
Please understand what's going on. And just know this. Yeah, there's there's a recession, they say, in Europe. But it, having inflation this high was not baked in. When you see other countries who just don't have this problem, I'll give you Japan, 2.7%. England has it higher than us, but almost every other country has it lower. So the President of the United States has got a bad hand to sell. How'd you like the way we left Afghanistan? Ooh, probably glaze over that. Glaze over that. How's it going with uh, economics? How's it going here locally? Well, I got a bunch of stuff passed, but are you happy that it's passed? You have Larry Summers, Jamie Dimon saying that the first thing you did was the first thing you did, the $1.9 trillion. So here's Brian Dees, the less than inspirational, overmatched National Economic Council director. Cut 14. There was some progress in this report. Uh, headline inflation has come down. A lot of that is gas prices that are down uh, more than a dollar a gallon since this summer. That's important uh, for American families. But at the same time, prices need to come down. They need to come down faster. Uh, this has been the president's primary focus, and we have taken action on measures that will provide some real relief here in the near term. So Senator Cotton said it best. They've come down a dollar since June, but they're going up again. It's at three ninety three. So that's a huge increase from Trump. Senator Cotton tweeted out one year ago, President Biden was promising the American people that inflation had peaked. He'll do it again. Biden's word is worthless. Elise Stefanik, hashtag Bidenflation, was not temporary and has not peaked. It has surged because of Biden and House Dems' Inflation Expansion Act. When Republicans earn back the House, we have a plan to rein in American inflation. Listen, a lot of people have gotten used to a lot of extra money, a lot of subsidies. We have to be—it's got to be explained to the American people this can't be. It can't be sustained. A lot of Western cultures did the same thing. Things were good. We could provide more of a social cushion. But now what we're getting is lazy people who don't want to work in a homeless population, many of which are perfectly capable of doing it, but are choosing to live off the grid. And lastly, Senator Marco Rubio, who's in a tough fight for the Senate, he talked about how the policies— uh, abroad have heard us at home. Cut 16. First of all, they've already played politics with oil. So the, um, obviously he runs for president. He threatens he's going to put everybody out of business. So, of course, the refining capacity, the production capacity, almost a billion barrels of oil less today than we were when Donald Trump was president. Then you have them start dipping into the strategic reserves. And we have these strategic reserves after the OPEC uh, after the OPEC embargo of the two, of the 1970s, because we never wanted to be in that spot again. Those things are there for things like hurricanes, a war, some other disruption. They're not there for midterms. That's what he was using it for. Then we get into this situation now where Saudis and others are acting in their best interest. I think they're doing two things here. One, they want to set oil prices at a way that is good for them. And at the same time, and it's OPEC plus Russia. But the other is they're doing it to punish America and Joe Biden. And that's bad policy. Pariah nation. Say to yourself, What do I want from them in the future? If you're going to, for example, alienate Russia and China right before you try to get them to join you in sanctions for Iran, it's not smart. You might want to hold your keep your powder dry. If you want to hurt America, in my view, but not in their view, by lessening production at home, you got to make sure you don't alienate OPEC so they don't strangle you like they did in the 70s. So instead, he calls them a pariah nation and says that they're, you know, we're not going to deal with them. He's not going to visit them until the gas prices got so high and our production got so low that he had to go over there hat in hand. And in turn, he got nothing again, hurting American prestige abroad. That's my view. What's yours? one 866 
408-7669. Pete Hegseth and Carl Shimkus will be here. When we come back, I not only want to talk about this, I do want to inform you what's going on in in Russia. Uh, They're moving their nukes around. I just got turned on to the story. I'll share it with you when we come back. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The FBI ran amok under the Comey leadership. They utilized both myself and the Steele dossier to continue to get warrants with absolutely no foundation, no basis, and they turned this country upside down. And that is exactly what John Durham is presenting to the American public. And if people like Brian Auden are not held accountable the way that John Durham said that he was under investigation, people like that are going to do what he did. They're going to try and cover up the Hunter Biden story, and that's what he did. People need to be held accountable, or else it's going to destroy our republic. And Tim Tebow, too, the guy that retired when it became clear that he was part of the cabal that stopped the Hunter Biden laptop from being looked at and sidelined all social media because of that and was behind the meeting with Zuckerberg and others, although Zuckerberg's feigning uh, that I I just had to listen to the FBI as if all of a sudden he forgot independent thought. That was George Papadopoulos, former Trump foreign policy advisor. Met Trump once. He ends up his life being destroyed. They set him up, remember? And they kept saying, you know, what does Vladimir Putin, what does the president know about Putin? They didn't, uh, they caught him. They had somebody go up to him, tell him a story. And they said, did you ever meet with this guy? When he said no, they go, okay, there's perjury. I think they put him under house arrest or in jail for a couple of days. He did nothing wrong. They totally missed it. So Special Counsel Durham yesterday charged Deshenko with five counts of making false statements to the FBI. Deshenko has pled not guilty on all charges. Democratic operative, this guy dates all the way back to the Clintons, Charles Dolan, testified Thursday that he lied to Deshenko in 2016 when he claimed to have information from a GOP insider about why Paul Manafort resigned from the Trump campaign. By the way, not a big deal. I will tell you why. Because he told Donald Trump, stop being in front of the camera. I'll handle it for now. And you just go with my messaging. Trump laughed at him and said, are you kidding? The next day, uh, this report comes out with all of Manafort's connections and all his work in the in Russians in Eastern Europe. So Trump fired him. So Dolan tells Deshenko this story. Deshenko tells Christopher Steele. It ends up in the Steele dossier. Total fiction. Then the FBI says, oh, my God, I'm getting worried about this. Uh, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i been using the dossier to get uh, uh, FISA warrants to follow all these people and tap their phones. Can you prove, Christopher Steele, that your dossier is true? And he said, no. They go, what if I give you a million dollars? And Steele said, no. Do you understand? I hope I'm explaining this effectively because I'm always the last one to get all these investigations. How scary this is that the FBI could decide that one party or one person should not be president. And when they win, take them down anyway. And it almost worked. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome back, everybody. Pete Hegseth and Carly Shimkus in the radio studio. I am thrilled and honored to have you both here, fresh up off the Fox and Friends today. But I will say this. Carly says to me in the break while you were downstairs, says, Brian, am I all of a sudden I'm not good enough? And I saw the first time I ever saw insecurity with Carly. And I go, it's not that you're not good enough. Is that we just thought it would be good to invite Pete up. I didn't know that I would have a problem like this. Oh, okay. I, I will take. I mean, I, this is usually our time, so I'm just wondering. Carly, I want to I want to help you and tell you how I knew. Happening. I know this is your time, and that's why I walked into this studio. There was no one in here. Nobody. You not not even me. Not even you. <laughs> I'm and almost out of breath. I, I just sat ran down in. at guest two. See the spot I'm at right here. It's guest respect. Two. That's respect. <laughs> I knew that guest one was Carly Shimkus. She's not kidding. She's not kidding. Pete, you can I'm be sorry. guest one any day of the week. Not not right now. Battle for the Anchor American one. Mind, bet, long-time best number one for how many weeks? It was number one for a month and on the That's list That's incredible. For, yeah, it was crazy. And on the list for 14 weeks. That's uh, uprooting a century of miseducation. Uh, and, of course, education is one of the top, th- top issues today. Uh, first off, I want you guys to hear something that's encouraging. Two years ago, if I could tell you, you know, it looked like we were coming apart the scenes when it comes to race. I think there's a huge pushback. I really do. Everywhere I see people come back, go, okay, can we calm down? Like, I'm not even worried about the World Cup, them taking a knee anymore, especially because it's not the women. So this is the head coach of the Buccaneers. When asked, since he's coaching against another black coach, Todd Bowles, he was asked this question earlier this week, cut 38. You and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, We don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well, and I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that when young aspiring coaches or even football players, they see you guys, you know, they see someone that looks like them, maybe grew up like them, that has to mean something. Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. So I, w- I just want to get your perspective, and Allison pulled the whole thing. I never heard the whole thing, wow. Allison and Eric, um, Pete. But what's, what's your reaction to that? Well, I, I just think that <laughs> to hear a reporter sort of school a black coach on how he should respond to race relations is an unbelievable situation. But and not he, surprising. He, he handled it so well. And uh, uh, somebody that is uh, maybe of a weaker mindset would have been like, yeah, you know, you're right. I understand where you're coming from. And he held his ground. He was like, no, listen, though, you just said you guys to us. That's, that's, make put, me more of an that's an us versus them situation when the other perspective is, no, everybody is equal. Not seeing color is a good thing. That's how it always should have been. But people have literally been canceled for saying those exact same things. It's true. Uh, so well said. I defer the balance of my time back to Carly. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, it's exact. I mean, it's, it's in this case, a female white liberals shaming and telling certain people how they are supposed to think the way they're supposed to view the world. I, I'm not I have not been a believer that the pendulum is going to swing back. Maybe it will. Maybe it maybe I there's it so much lunacy. I because of the education aspect of it, that's what makes me concerned that it won't swing back as properly as it should be. 
But it's going to be free-thinking, courageous men like this yeah. who look reporters who are driving an agenda in the eye and say, that's not true. What Good coach was him. that that said that? That, uh, said that? that was Todd Balls, head coach of the Buccaneers, former coach of the Jets. Tuka, he's got been to a head coach twice in five years. So there, there should be other opportunities. No, okay. I'm a Bucks fan. Yeah, well, and, didn't want yeah. To be one. and you know what, Pete? I agree with you that I think that at the top, like the tippy top of companies and um, uh, colleges, the sort of um, Ivy League mentality, I don't think it's going anywhere there when it comes to like the hardcore, like we have to be hyper-focused on race. But I think normal people, it's it used to be something that people would sort of tiptoe around, and now everybody's really over it. So so could I share with you a passage? So I'm, I'm all over Booker T. Washington. I'm doing a project with the Teddy Roosevelt and how they work together to race us forward on, on, uh, as a country. This is, these are, this is from his biography, so don't even say this is an interpretation. With few exceptions, Negro youth must work harder and perform his task even better than white youth in order to secure recognition. This is, this, is eight, this is 1910. But out of the hard and unusual struggle through which he is compelled to pass, he gets a strength of confidence that one misses whose pathway is comparatively smooth by reason of birth. From any point of view, I'd rather be who I am, a member of the Negro race, than to be claimed membership with the most favorite of any other race. I've always been made sad when I heard members of my race claiming rights and privileges or certain badges of distinction on the ground simply that they were members of this race or that, regardless of their own individual worth or attainments. This is 110 years ago. Don't make excuses. We Segregated society, absolutely, for 30 uh, – 40 years off the Civil War. Don't worry about what what the situation is. Make it better. That has always been the ethos of our very best in this country. It also statement statements like that remind us that no one actually benefits when you're when you're valuing race over anything else. Then you have people of one race wondering, well, is that person in that position because they were given a preference? The person in that position is saying, well, did they look at me because I'm, I'm here because I had a preference? It's toxic across the board. Yeah. There are some people that want it that way. That's the Yeah, he was, what he was talking about is what in that uh, quote that you just read so eloquently written was really the difference between equality and equity, where he's saying, and, and now it's uh, the equity where it's equal you outcomes. Exactly. And now you get to a point where um, in schools they are dumbing things down to help elevate one race over another. How about you just focus on those students that are struggling a little bit more rather than dumbing all of the education down? I, uh, my um, my mom's side of the family is from Puerto Rico. My mom's Puerto Rican. I'm 50%. I know I look like a map of it. But my grandfather, same exact thing. He came over from Puerto Rico. He had no money. He worked for in a steel mill, um, and he got his GED. Actually, he got his high school diploma, too, in when he was already a grown man. Didn't even tell his, my mom or his wife that he was doing this. He was just staying late for work, and he just want, he just had that drive and that will to succeed. Uh, bilingual English, definitely not his first language, and he was so proud to be an American and so proud of right. those accomplishments and exactly the example of what Booker T. Washington was there and became Born such a, a slave, strong man. He was a slave until he was 12. Yeah, and be, yeah, became such a strong man because of the struggles that he went through. And he wrote those words before there was equality. Absolutely. And here now we are in a moment where we're closer to equality than we've ever been. And now we move the goalpost to equity, which has always been a lie. Yeah, it's impossible. I, I just thought it was so true that you can. I thought Dennis Prager told me earlier this week, you have to judge people 
by the era in which they're born and they lived. And by that calculus, our founding fathers were giants. Never said Columbus was a giant. Not perfect. But when you talk about slavery and equality, there was slave. We didn't invent slavery. The Indians had slaves. Wasn't aware of that. Uh, Blacks in Africa had slaves. Wasn't aware of that. Brazil imported more slaves than anybody else. You don't see them beating themselves up on a daily basis, but they have a horrible history when it comes to slavery. And we fought a civil war to get rid of it. And I just think that we're about to get – I really feel optimistic we're about to get over it. I'm telling you. I'm not totally over I hope it. you're right, Brian. I, I just – yes, some big figures can say big things that give us hope. But what is being done in the classroom so that the sixth grader in class knows what you just said as opposed to the prevailing Howard Zinn view, which is America is evil, poisoned from the beginning, founded on the backs of slaves and stolen from the Indians. And as a result, we shouldn't stand for the pledge, let alone sign up for the military. What's it worth defending? We are we have not reversed that yet, which means there are a wave of kids that will never encounter what you just said unless they get a subscription to Fox Nation. Well, do you you say there's got to be a push uh, on the education front? But don't you think, Carly, this whole pushback and the sobering up of defund the police and police are fundamentally racist and they're realizing the communities that are hurt the most to the African-American communities because there's no policing. And those parents are looking around going, I never said they were the problem. Al Sharpton doesn't speak for me. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's candidates like John Fetterman who are literally scrubbing their campaign websites to get rid of defund the police. Mandela Barnes too. Yeah, exactly. When he used to be holding up a T-shirt that said exactly that very thing. Uh, So they recognize that it's hurting them politically. Uh, which is fascinating. No time like the present, 25 days until the midterm elections when they reach this sober reality. Uh, But I exactly what you said when you introduced us. It is so refreshing to watch a football game and not have to worry about having to roll your eyes when half the sideline kneels during the national anthem. So there has been a great shift in this country away from that movement that once consumed the entire nation. Right. Uh, do we want to do a more to know in the last block, or do we have no? Just, just keep rolling. There's it? no more to know. We know it all. We, yeah. Oh, I know that's Pete's philosophy. I did not know it was yours. Uh, <laughs> I'm done learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joey Jones is in for Pete this weekend, right? Uh, he's in. No, he's in for Will this Will, weekend. Uh, that's right. So, you are Pete. <laughs> What's wrong? I'll be here. Right. It's, all right. it's, it's okay. okay. When we come back, more with Carly and Pete. It used to be just Carly, but now Pete's here. It's a good thing, as Martha says. (laughs) Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the fire department where the event was being held. Just across the street right here is the car where my producer was parked. You can see glass on the ground. Someone threw a brick through the window. You can see the brick there. Shattered the glass. Another person got inside and tried to hotwire the vehicle and drive away with it. Again, the press was just... Right across the street, there was probably at least a dozen people standing right here. None of us heard anything. We were getting set up for the press conference, and it happened really in a blink of an eye. None of us had time to react, to notice what was going on, until the producer noticed that someone had just smashed her car window. What? Hello. We're on the radio. Oh, we're back? Okay, I thought we No, no, we're not back. 
Oh, we are? <laughs> All right. Did we uh, play that soundbite? Okay. So you heard that, right? I did I not. Didn't. All right. I was, uh, <laughs> we were a little distracted. <laughs> I always just wanted some of the debate. We were so, just friends having a conversation, yeah. and then the show started again. All right, so here we go. Hillary Vaughn is out. Uh, Hillary Vaughn was uh, on covering a shoot, and the fire department uh, at a big event, and her car was broken into. I did hear about that. I didn't. At the event, and the event was about crime. Oh, my. And her car, someone threw a brick through her window, and it was right next to where other reporters were. And, like, chaos is so constant that no one noticed that her rental car was broken into right at the event about crime. You've so, got to be kidding me. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what's going on. And, and, you know, she spends most of her time covering the president of the United States. Um, the other thing to, uh, to keep in mind, too, is since we – if I was here in August, the number one story was abortion. And that's what we Roe v. Wade. What else is the Supreme Court capable of doing? they got to get her to take away same-sex marriage and all this other stuff. Nobody's talking about that anymore. It's the highest I've seen it is fifth on anyone's list of things they care about. I believe that this red wave is reprimed. It's it's not a hope. It's not a fear. I think it's a fact. I mean, do you? Yes, and I agree with you on the polling. The thing that I think is interesting, and I also think it could shoot Democrats in the foot, is how much they're spending on ads that focus on abortion. And it's so fascinating because it, the number one Two and three issue are the economy, and then you get to crime, and then you get to education, and then there's some sort of, like, you know, democracy in hangs in the balance type polling in there as well. But abortion is really slipping, and it is an issue that when you when you look at who cares about the issue, you, you always think that the people that are being polled saying that it's so important to them are pro-choice people, but there are a lot of pro-lifers that – are undercounted when it comes to where that is in their uh, and they're organized over the last fifty years. Yeah. yeah, that came across on the show this morning when we were asked asked about abortion. The the gentleman says, "Yeah, because I'm pro life." So when you talk about threats to democracy, there's plenty of uh, conservatives that feel like what the socialists and others are doing is a threat to our republic. Yes, so they can cut in both directions. You want you want to hold an election where one side says it's abortion, January 6th, and the weather, meaning climate change as their top issues, versus crime, inflation, the border, mm-hmm. and what happens in your kid's school. Good luck. Brian, I was with you. I, I feel like the media was was just cheerleading for a change in the narrative, so much so that they the blue check marks created an environment where some of us doubted whether or not a wave like this was possible. And it was always a mirage from what that they created, that people were interested in those topics. They came and went. When people vote, uh, they're going to vote for things that really affect them. And right. I think it will bode well for Republicans. So um, you just have your book out. My paperback's coming out in, uh, October 25th. No, uh, November 12th and 13th. I'm going to be in Brandon, Mississippi. Let's go to Brandon. And then we're going to, on Sunday, <laughs> go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And on December 2nd, I'm going to be in Newark, New Jersey, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. And the question is, will Carly Shimkus and Pete Hegseth be joining me? Carly, you're 50-50 on this, right? Because you might be moving. Well, I may, I may be in labor, but if and I'm, I also am moving. So right. depending on those two things. What second, kind of excuses <laughs> are those? Right. I mean, labor, that's three months early. I, I, mean, was, I was exaggerating a little bit. Right. For dramatic effect. But I, have I perfect- am moving, though. I am moving right around that time. But I do think I'm so flattered that you would even want me to join. So I would. And, and you know how I, I, I would 
because what we do is I try to take all all the books, the history books, but now instead of just rolling tape and giving an idea what it's about, I bring them to life with uh, actors who have no experience but want to recreate key moments in passages in this book, whether it's Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, George Washington, Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates. And to be able to talk about your book, uh, The Battle for the American Mind, which we'll talk about after, I've asked Pete to possibly (laughs) join us in one of those moments to bring to life American history. Brian, I am so nervous about this. Is it a yes? It's a 100% yes. Oh, wow. Friday night. Friday night, December 2nd, I'll be there with you. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Right. Which is really scary. Play a, a prominent person in American history. Play. He's already been, he's been talking about it. He's, he's So are we talking costumes as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And I don't think people move on Friday night, Carly. <laughs> <laughs> I have the perfect thing for Carly, too. And I got you uh, probably more than one. Because now I realize, Allison, you, you saw the last one. Instead of just doing, how many did we do last time? We did two. It was so well. By the way, when I first brought it up, uh, Pat O'Rourke and Rick Thatcher helped me out, the MC and the comic that opens. And they were all in, but a lot of people were like, I don't think that's going to work. It was so overwhelming. Allison, be honest, in Albany, how did it go? It was very entertaining. You're also forgetting that you've known Pat and Rick since you were a child. So right. it's like, High school so grandma's friends are having a good time. True. But I think you'd blend right in there, both of you, Carly. It's, I stole it from Mike Rowe is Six Degrees, where he walks in and out of history to talk about how everything's related. And I said, how great would that be on stage? So what roles would you choose for Pete? Or are, do you not want to reveal this? No, more roles for – we need – we need Carly. Oh, I got Carly. Carly. I got I got Carly no, with, one the, is fine. with the Tripoli Pirates. I'm joining forces with you, Brian, to recruit Carly Shimkus right. on stage. <laughs> but we'll talk after about your book and everything, and then you have an opportunity to buy the book. Very cool. And, and get it number one again. We'll do it. Is New Jersey ready for you? Because they just lost you. <laughs> <laughs> they did, but I'll come back. You'll come back. You, you moved. I did. Uh, okay, I will do it. There we go. Suzanne, that's all I need. <laughs> All I have to do is get that in writing. Not that I don't trust the radio show and a commitment that we could play back. Back in a moment. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Thanks so much for being here all week long. Uh, we come to you from 40th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Geraldo Rivera and Josh Crossauer of Axios, also a Fox News contributor, as we get closer and closer to Election Day. I love what Axios writes. They write, the President of the United States doing targeted appearances rather than big rallies, as if he had a choice. He could call a big rally in the biggest arena. Not many people are coming. That's not his thing. And the reason why Obama did so many and Trump did about 18 over the last year is because he sells out. It accomplishes the goal. Axios doesn't seem to be acknowledging there's a little difference in draw power. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The FBI ran amok under the Comey leadership. They utilized both myself and the Steele dossier to continue to get warrants with absolutely no foundation, and they turned this country upside down. They were all seeing it in the courtroom. That was George Papadopoulos. Stunning. That's how I characterize what's happening at the Durham trial as they grill Igor Deschenko, and we learn more about the depth of corruption around the hoax and the FBI. Number two. The 
foundation of what we announced yesterday is to reduce the, num the amount of irregular migration so that people can avail themselves of the lawful pathway. That is Secretary of Homeland Security Alexander Alejandro Mayorkas talking about this new Venezuela policy, which is essentially remain in Mexico. The problem with it, nobody told Mexico. Because when we returned him yesterday, Mexico says, we're not taking him. Nice, nice plan, Joe. Keep up the good work. Number one. The Saudis could convey to us, both privately uh, as well as publicly, um, their intention to reduce oil production. We made clear that that would be the wrong direction. Right. And what a forceful, inspirational speaker. Am I correct? Blame Saudi, vilify Republicans. That seems to be the response from the administration as our economy is roiled. Interest rates rise, inflation remains high, and all energy costs soar. However, this, econo however, this week's economic numbers uh, are, so, are take a back seat because it's all how you feel. You don't really need me to tell you how the economy is. Geraldo Rivera, we need you, co-host of The Five, Fox's contributor. He's in Ohio because he heard that the Indians, excuse me, the Guardians were going to eventually come home to play the Yankees in Game 3. Geraldo, welcome back. You know, I have a real moral dilemma, Brian. Uh, you know, I've been a Yankee fan since I delivered the Long Island Press uh, at age 14 and was rewarded with tickets to the bleachers of Yankee Stadium. But the Guardians, I must say, with the smallest payroll in the major leagues, the youngest team in the major leagues has definitely captured my heart. So I've decided to remain neutral until the winner emerges and then we'll root for whoever that is. Which will likely play the Astros, it seems. The Astros seem to be, what a franchise. Even when they're not cheating, uh, they tend to win. Uh, we'll see what happens in Game 2. They got rained out yesterday. They're going to play at 2 o'clock uh, this afternoon and see if people care about baseball again. Uh, I think Judge helped a lot of people get reinvolved with the sport. But let's talk about what's happening. And most people aren't focusing on this in the Durham trial. I'm wide open to rhetoric. I'm not into people going off and just saying how bad the FBI is or how great Republicans are or Democrats are. But what's emerging in this courtroom, last time with Sussman, I don't care if they was convicted or not, and now. Sussman walks over and tells the FBI, I'm just a little concerned as an American citizen. I got this dossier and I got this information about Donald Trump being compromised by Russia. You do what you want with it. And then we find out that Dushenko is taking calls from Dolan. Charles Dolan is a friend of the Clintons who worked for the Clintons in Russia. And he's telling Dushenko things. Dushenko's calling Christopher Steele. And Dolan admits yesterday on the stand, I made everything up. Dushenko says, I don't know if it's true. And Christopher Steele says, my dossier, even for a million dollars, the FBI offered a million dollars. I can't prove it's true. Geraldo, out of everything you've seen in law school, are you surprised everything I'm telling you is true? I, I'm not surprised because I, I was shoulder to shoulder with President Trump during that period. And I think it was really very, very viciously unfair how he was attacked and what turned out to be that. Uh, we never had this detail the, before. The a million dollars to prove the, to tell Christopher Steele for a million dollars. Would you please verify this? And he said, no, I can't. Really? Well, the, the whole origin of it is, is so rotten. Mm. And, uh, it, you know, I, I broke with the president when he uh, decided to defy the constitutional order uh, and, and, and refused to accept the judgment of the American people in the November 2020 election. But I, I must say that he was driven crazy by all of these phony 
investigations and probes and and scandals that turned out to be hoaxes or Democratic created uh, false information. I, I, that's why Bill uh, William Barr became the Attorney General to help protect uh, President Trump against these really and vicious he was and phony attacks. And and uh, he's my favorite guy in D.C. Uh, Bill Barr, really a, an honorable man, and uh, uh, you know he, he was is. absolutely straightforward and correct on all these issues. But uh, the the treachery and the 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 partisan terrorism that happened and happens in our country far too much from both sides is something I know that your program now is uh, is promoting the fact that you don't create division, and I love you for that. Uh, you know because. Uh, it, it, we need straight shooters. We need people who uh, who are, are moderate and in, 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 in the middle and listen to both sides. Uh, but what happened to Trump in the early days with the Steele dossier and everything else is really a, a, a scandal and a stain that will that will live forever. Just as his actions on January 6th is a stain that will live forever. Right? But yeah, but this was going on for three years. One was one day. Uh, the FBI That's paid true. Igor Dushenko, get this, the FBI paid Igor Dushenko $200,000 to serve as a confidential source as the Democratic operative admits he lied under oath about the team uh, Trump in the Steele dossier. So he's being tried at the same time he's on the FBI's payroll, who is maneuvering behind the scenes to upend the presidency before it starts and when it started. And in the backdrop, and I was thinking about this. I am the biggest critic of Vladimir Putin on the planet. I do think he's Hitler. I do think he's just as bad and just as ruthless. And hopefully he's not going to be able to do what Hitler did. That I think he's evil. But do you realize how our dam- how much damage came between two nations? Because we could not even deal with Russia because we were alleging that a president was colluding with another country to upend our electoral process. So we couldn't even – every president couldn't even meet with them. And they're trying to say, yeah, you know, we bought some Facebook. If they were being honest, they'd say we bought some Facebook ads and we absolutely probably wanted you to win. We hate Hillary Clinton. But there's we gave them so much credit for delivering an election that they almost deserve. They deserve no credit in playing a role in. But it poisoned the relations to the point of no return. Well, I don't know if that was the effect, because I think Putin was poisoned in his brain from the get-go. He didn't need American domestic politics to make him crazy and and become that person that you describe. What he has done, what Vladimir Putin, just to shift the focus to, to Ukraine. a real evil uh, uh, and, and Ukraine, what he has done, in, in, he is a mass murdering dog. He is. And what really distresses me no end is how some conservative commentators are rooting for Russia and Putin. They want Russia to win. What the hell is that about? How, how can you be a patriotic you know, lover of our country and of the international world order and, and, and cheer on uh, someone who is a, a megalomaniac uh, who thinks that he can, uh, you know, with, with impunity, change the borders and, and, and invade a sovereign country and, and, and expected the world to, uh, to acknowledge and accept his, uh, you know, ruthless uh, imperialism. I, I think it is beyond the pale. And I, I, I don't know how any, as I said, uh, lo, you know, real lo- lover of our country 
and patriotism, what we stand for, can right. can abide. Well, you know, you know, I firmly, like I firmly see World War II fingerprints happening again. We look the other way. We think we can appease, and they just take, take, take from Georgia to Crimea, I, and then this. I, I'm with you, but I think you're overstating. What some conservatives are saying, they don't necessarily want Russia to win. They want talks and they want it to end. They don't think we should be involved. That's their argument. Well, it's even, not my even argument. Elon Musk, even Elon Musk, who I is my number one favorite entrepreneur. I, I root him on. I want him to own Twitter and whatever else he wants to own. But when he says that the negotiations should start with the premise that, uh, you know, troops should remain in place as they are today, what he does is cede Every he's a third of all of its industrial, uh, you know, facilities, the nuclear plants, and it rewards the kind of vicious uh, imperialism that we thought that the United Nations and the European Union and the NATO and all the rest of these international organizations had put an end to. It is right. Putin's Putin's actions are indefensible. Yeah, you, for example, yeah, if Mexico decides, hey, we want Texas, Arizona back, and we don't ever exactly. think, you know, we don't like the way you took, we don't think like the way you took California, and then they occupy it, and then they say, well, hey, America, why don't you negotiate? No, we're not going to negotiate. You just decided to forget about two hundred and twenty years of history. I'm not going to do that. So uh, that's how I feel. I'm a hundred percent with you on this about the actual Amen. war itself. Uh, on the ground, the Ukrainians are using Western tactics. They're not squaring off with the Russians. They'll surround them and, and make them get out. And that's what could be happening in Kyrgyzstan and wiping them out. And it turns out their most inexperienced forces are on the front lines, which is stunning. Here's what General Keene told me this morning. Cut 31. What the Ukrainians have done is they've cut off access to the city by dropping all the bridges and damaging them and literally... Uh, forcing the Russians to be at siege. In other words, they're being cut off from their supplies. Ukrainians do not want to go into the city and fight building by building and block by block uh, because they know that's casualty producing. They'd much rather squeeze the Russians and force their withdrawal. And that is likely what will happen. And we'll see that unfold over the next few weeks. So, and can you imagine getting more land? And then what he can do? He's using Iranian kamikaze drones terrorizing urban centers. Why are we not pressuring Iran? Why are we not, why, why are we not standing up for the, uh, the men and women who are being massacred in the streets? Over 200 have been killed for standing up and, and trying to get their rights back. We're not doing anything. Uh, well, I, I agree with you, Ron. Let me just say, P.S., uh, Jack Keane is the best military analyst on television today. And I think that those interviews regularly... Uh, scheduled between you and him are are really very very eye opening and and people should listen because it's a, a very uh, astute analytical approach to yeah. the war. Uh, but uh, in terms of what the Ukrainians are doing against what was thought to be one of the great armies, yeah, we're losing him. Right? It sounds like I know Geraldo's either been taken hostage. Uh, <laughs> Has he been taken hostage against his will? And if so, uh, Geraldo, what would it take to free you? How much money do we have in the budget, Allison, if it is a hostage situation? Do we have money? For Geraldo, endless amounts. Right. So we will we'll go into overdraft to free him. And, you know, I, I, of all times, why doesn't this ever happen when we're arguing? He was actually giving me a compliment and we lose him. Why does this happen? That's just kind of weak I'm having. 
It's like the radio god saying, no, Brian, we're not going to be in your favor. Right. How dare you? I think he might be back now. Harald, are you back? I'm back. I'm back. Sorry, I'm on the freeway heading toward uh, uh, D.C. I'm, uh, we're in uh, Pennsylvania right now in the hills of uh, Beaver Falls. So uh, anyway, I, I think the Ukrainians, what they're doing, you know, I've uh, been a military uh, war correspondent for decades. I've covered every basically every conflict on the planet. Uh, since uh, my first international assignment, the coup in Chile, then the Yom Kippur War, and everything that's happened since. I have never, ever, maybe with the possible exception of what the Israelis have managed to do, but I've never, generally speaking, never seen as, as wonderful, as, as, uh, uh, as effective, as, as amazingly uh, underdog against the big dog. I've never seen a better military campaign than that conducted by Zelensky and the brave Ukrainian patriots. They are taking back their country, and Russia is falling apart. Their soldiers are demoralized. They are, and we keep hearing about how demoralized they are. Yep. It, 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 is a, a, it is amazing what they've managed to do, and they call on the United States to do even more along with the European Union and Britain. But yeah, as I mean, to Iran, I absolutely agree that we are not paying enough attention to the heroic women of Iran yes. who are standing up against the repression of the regime. I have, I have always thought that Iran got the short end of the stick. We gave the Saudis much too much credit. But the Iran is now exposed as being brutal, anti-humanitarian, uh, anti-women. They are, uh, you know, Neanderthal in their approach uh, to uh, gender equality. It is, uh, it is disgusting what they're doing, uh, what they did to kill these young girls who want only to have the freedom that, that they see on television every day in every other country, uh, you know, not to be wear a job if they don't want to. I, I think we're not paying nearly enough attention. Right. This could be the reverse of the Khomeini revolt that threw the Shah out. Maybe this is the beginning of the end of the, uh, of the theocratic uh, regime that has uh, run Iran. Uh, in the decades since. Brian. All right. Harald, are you on the five tonight? Uh, no, next week. Next All, right. week. All right. Next week. So lay out your outfits. I don't want to be in a big rush to get to it because you have to catch a plane. Uh, and hopefully uh, the uh, the Yankees will dispose of your guardians and they could focus on the Astros. Geraldo Rivera, it, thanks it, so it, much. Down with the Astros. Down with the Astros. Down with we the agree Astros. on that. Back in a moment. Both sides. All opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. How I like to describe, like, the ghost pronouns. It's like a further, deeper description of my gender, personally. Another one of our alters, Gabe, he also uses a ghost ghost self sometimes. He could technically be considered a ghost because of his source, but also because of his source, he doesn't consider himself a ghost but he uses it because of that i personally use it because it's just more comfortable for me and better describes how my gender feels to me ghost i am so confused this is pronoun mania the libs of tiktok put it out right so yes. what and this is the, the group that's banned from twitter no, I mean, the libs, they tweet this stuff out. They're not banned. They're on there. Uh, They'll post okay. out these crazy videos so what of people. Is, can you, if you can't, it's okay. But what is she talking about? It's the pronoun ghost and ghost self. So I guess instead of a he, she, 
you know, they, them, whatever. She likes ghost because it's her ghost self. I, I didn't do a deep dive down the rabbit hole of why she identifies as a ghost, but uh, we can do that if you so desire. I wouldn't even know where to start. I don't disagree with you. Uh, can ghosts be male or female? That's a good question. I think we should maybe try to book this woman or this ghost. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> ask her. Right, that's she how did. she feels. Why does she, she identify? Does she feel that you could, Gary. I mean, she feel too good for us? Is this just an October thing around Halloween? Right. Is it trying to sell? Will she be a turkey in November? Right. So we should stay on top of this story. We should. Could you put your best person on it? Will do. All Eric's right. all over it. All right. And have, have Pete. Pete's so much better than Eric. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Biden's fall flex. In the first October of their midterms, President Obama did 12 rallies across the country. President Trump, in the October of his first midterms, did 15 rallies across the country. President Biden, zero big rallies in the October of his first midterms. Instead, the Biden flex is using executive authority. We, of course, saw his pardons on pot, and we, of course, saw his actions on student loans. So the why it matters of this is that President Biden is avoiding big settings where he could hurt a Democrat in a place that he's not particularly popular, where his polls are underwater, and instead is using executive action, executive authority to project accomplishment and democratic power. So that was Mike Allen of Axios, founder, and he says that that's the deal. Uh, that is a, a tactic for Joe Biden to do smaller venues where he raises money rather than big, uh, big events. I think we're missing one elephant in the room. You could have a big event and you could schedule it. I don't know who's showing up. He has never been a big draw. And one of his great assets during the pandemic was he never had to be. Josh Krasauer joins us now, senior political uh, correspondent Axios. Hey, Josh, the reason why he's not doing what Obama and Trump did is no one would come. Are we forgetting that? Well, look, that's a factor, certainly. But I would also point, Brian, where Biden is doing these smaller campaign events, California, Oregon, Colorado. These are some of the bluer states on the map. So it's not just the size of, of, of these events, but it's also the fact that it's hard to find a lot of states. The, the battlegrounds map that we're looking at, there are not a lot of candidates on the Democratic side that want President Biden for a political event in their states. You have to go, really, Oregon is the, the most political of these events, and that's a state that was one of the most Democratic states in the country in the last election. And Arizona, for example, might be a benefit. Trump was there. He does no problem going to Michigan, a place that he lost. He lost both those states, but he'll, he'll get 18, 22,000. And, and that's a huge difference. Not many people want to hear Joe Biden talk. Yeah, I mean, well, look, one difference, one thing that Obama and Trump had in common, Brian, is that they had strong support from both of their parties' bases. Whatever you think about President Biden, that's not the type of politician that he is. He, he doesn't engender maybe a strong opposition, uh, as Obama did when you look at the numbers uh, back in 2010 and, and, and led that midterm election. But he certainly isn't engendering it, the strong support that, that Obama or Donald Trump did when he was president. And that's a, that's a problem politically because, you know, to win a med- midterm, to do well, to beat the odds in the first midterm of your presidency, you've got to get your, your voters to the polls. There are, Democrats, by the way, are hoping that the issue of abortion uh, that's going to drive right. some of their voters out and, let, and make it less about the president himself. 
but that's that's a big risk to take, and it's not been the norm. We've seen two presidents before Biden getting their turnout, getting a lot of folks to the polls based on their own own popularity and with the base of the party. So, Josh, the other thing is the uh, you have Mandela Barnes making it clear: I need help from Barack Obama. He's asking Obama to help me. He's trailing by about four points on, on most polls to Ron Johnson. And do you think President Obama seems to be hesitant to get involved now? Are you? What are you hearing? Yeah, that that sometimes when you get into silly, when you get, you get to the late part of the campaigns, you see a lot of candidates throwing up what I would call Hail Mary passes. Just that they know they're down and they're trying to kind of come up with some some ideas or, or they're airing desperate attack ads or asking for, for famous politicians to come and help them out. Uh, look, Obama has not been engaged in, in, in the midterm elections at all. And that race in Wisconsin, Brian, is moving towards Ron Johnson. If you look at all the, all the public polling out there and all the all the conversations I've had with operatives involved in those in, in that big Senate race. So like the notion that Obama would not would, would go to one event and just do it for, for Mandela Barnes strikes me as a little bit unlikely. And, and I also looked at that story and it sounded like Mandela Barnes wasn't just asking for Barack Obama, but he was asking for Joe Biden. He was asking for Kamala Harris. He was asking for literally anyone who would come to Wisconsin to help him out. I mean, Mandela Barnes, if he has any chance of winning, he needs to make it about not about national trends. He wants them. He should make it about the, the, the campaign itself against Ron Johnson. The fact that he's looking for these national Democratic uh, figures to campaign for him shows just how you know challenging he's facing a time against Senator Johnson. And, and Josh, the problem is, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, is the issue is no longer how bad police are and have to be reimagined. It is scrub my website of any anti-law enforcement. Please don't mention zero cash bail. And law and law and order is now a key plank of what matters to people by almost all surveys. That puts guys like Mandela Barnes in trouble and John Fetterman in trouble. Absolutely, Brian. If Republicans take back the Senate, it's going to be on the issue of crime. The economy is the mood music. Obviously, that's the biggest issue for, for most voters. But the issue in these individual races that are down, going down to the wire, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, it, it's the crime issue. And, and, and it's the issue of having candidates especially Barnes in Wisconsin, that are well out of the political mainstream on, on, on that on that topic. Uh, there was a story actually in the in Milwaukee uh, newspaper just this week that um, Mandela Barnes went on uh, Russian television, went on the RT channel to call for defunding the police five, six years ago. And that's a, a clip in the, main, in the biggest newspaper in the whole state of Wisconsin. So this is the type of you know, this is there are candidates of Republicans. Mitch McConnell talked about candidate quality. He's worried about a couple of Republican candidates in in these big battleground races. Clearly, Mandela Barnes has been a problem for Democrats, and he's underperforming where Democrats should be in Wisconsin. Uh, let's go if I can pivot to Arizona. I'm fascinated by Kari Lake, who had a tough primary, now fifty fifty flat footed tie, there, and the Democratic opponent does not want to debate her. Said flat, I don't want theatrics. Really? Okay. And Blake Masters, I only saw clips, but by most reviews, did himself great benefit by really preparing and going aggressively at Mark Kelly. How close is uh, how close is Masters to Kelly? Yeah, yeah so we reported at Axios that uh, Peter Thiel, who's a big backer of Blake Masters, has funded uh, his primary campaign. Uh, that he's he's uh, you know close to putting in a bunch of money to help Blake Masters out, but that Mitch McConnell and, and his super the Mitch McConnell line super PAC has decided not to spend additional money in Arizona. So I always like to say follow the money, follow you know the polls are important, but also follow where the money is going. And I was sort of, you know, the fact that McConnell's not spending in a lot of big states 
and isn't spending in Arizona, isn't going back in Arizona to to spend money. He seems to think that he seems he seems to think that Masters is going to have a tough time winning. Um, but look, the Arizona is a swing state. It's a state that probably in this political environment should want to vote Republican. It's a question about the candidates. Uh, certainly, Masters in the Senate race. Now, Democrats have a candidate issue also in the governor's race with Katie Hobbs, who doesn't want to debate Carrie Lake. You know, Lake is taking attacks for, you know, being outside of the mainstream of the Republican Party in Arizona and getting attacks on abortion. But, you know, you should, you think the Democrat would want to debate Carrie Lake, right? You would think that would be uh, an opportunity for Democrats to get their points across. And the fact that Katie Hobbs seems to be scared of debating uh, Carrie Lake is a good sign for the Republicans in the governor's race. Oh, yeah. But as a broadcaster, she's extremely experienced and confident. And I know she's got a hard time with other uh, with other Republican outlets or right wing outlets. And she's uh, stood up to the fire. Now, the whole thing with Donald Trump, I find it fascinating. For the most part, he's done tactically what everyone asked him to do. Low profile up to Election Day. And his candidates are now getting money from him on a super PAC he just formed. And he's flooding him with dollars. How much is at stake for Trump? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to the win-loss record in, in those big states where, where he endorsed candidates that were started out as underdogs. And then they ended up winning the nomination. And now... We're looking at their general election win-loss record. So we're looking at Herschel Walker in Georgia. We're looking at Dr. Oz in, in, in Pennsylvania. And we're looking at Blake Masters in, in Arizona. Uh, all those races are close. You know, Herschel Walker certainly has a chance to win in Georgia. Uh, Oz is, is, is doing – you know he's got momentum in Pennsylvania. In Masters, we'll see what happens. But it sounds like the gap is closed a, a little bit at least in Arizona. So look, if, if, if Trump goes 3-0 and in, in those big races – uh, that would be the good news for for Trump and his chances of running uh, again and, and having a political strong political future. Uh, if he goes zero and three in very winnable races, that might change a lot of party officials' minds about uh, Trump's popularity uh, with swing voters and a lot of these the most important voters in our national politics. Uh, here is the president of the United States uh, in a tough spot because he's got some pretty miserable outside jobs, economic numbers. Tell me if you think this is a good tactic. Cut thirteen. You know, Republicans are going to make you, working middle-class folks, pay higher taxes, the biggest corporations. And by the way, in every single piece of legislation I've gotten passed with help of the people here, we have not raised the tax on anybody making less than 400000 bucks a year. Republican wins, inflation is going to get worse. It's that simple. They also blame the Saudis, Vladimir Putin. He also said the, uh, the oil companies are, are greedy. So do you think the American people, how do you think they're going to respond to the president's explanation on the economic challenges? Yeah, I mean, that's part of like the Democratic playbook, talking about we're going to hike taxes on the wealthy and, and not, you know, not for the middle class. It, 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 when inflation is as bad as it is right now, Brian, that, that, that is falling on deaf ears. People are looking at the, the, the grocery prices that have shot up in, in the last few months. The, the, the CPI index showing inflation is not being restrained. Uh, it, it's just gas prices are going up again, by the way, across the country and at the worst possible time politically for this administration. So that you know, the independent voters that make up their minds in the last couple of weeks that may not pay attention to politics as closely as you and I do, they're, they're pocketbook voters. So they're, they're voters that are attuned to the economy more than almost anyone. And they tend to break against the party in power if things aren't looking good. Josh Kreisherr is with us, Fox News contributor, also senior political correspondent at Axios. Josh, there's two things going on. I just can't wait to get your take on. Number one, Lee Zeldin, according to Trafalgar 4, according to Marist 8, 
uh, down uh, down from 16. Uh, he's trailing Governor Hochul, winning on Long Island, winning upstate New York, 30 percent in New York City. That's actually the problem, but it's better than almost any other Republican since Pataki. And out in Oregon, the Republican with a four-point lead. These are blue states that could see a Republican change. Does it mean just those races or something else? No, it, mean, it means that crime is a huge issue for voters. And, and it's actually most significant, Brian, in blue states, in these governor's races, right? So th- these are races that we're not talking about who's going to control the Senate or the House. It's about the local state and, and the crime and homelessness and disorder in some of these major cities across, across big, these big political battlegrounds. Republicans think that they have a very good chance of winning Oregon for the first time since 1982 because of crime and homelessness. I think, I think you're right, Brian, about New York. I think Lee Zeldin is actually going to run a much more competitive race than the polls currently show because of just how rampant crime has been and how, uh, frankly, it doesn't seem like the Democratic leadership of the city or the state has any control or any understanding about its significance. And it was a big, big issue in the local elections in 2021 where Republicans won, won in Long Island and won in some surprising areas. Uh, you see it you know, in other blue states, other blue districts across the board. And, and those are areas where Democrats have full control. You can't blame Republicans. It's, it's a, these are deeply blue states, deeply blue areas. Right. And the issue of crime is motivating Republicans. And you're not seeing as much intensity among Democrats because they're disillusioned with what's going on in their communities. And they're not worried about abortion as much because they know that they have Democratic control uh, in, in the big picture. It's not going to change the, the local laws in their states. So lastly, you know, for the longest time, I've seen have seen the border. Bill Malusian's been at the border. Griff Jenkins does an incredible job at the border, just exposing what's happening. And the numbers don't lie. We're at unprecedented levels, 4 million in two years, almost 2 million this year already, 800,000 gotaways, the amount of fentanyl. But everyone seemed to be ignoring it outside when they all came to that bridge and the controversy, controversy with the Haitian uh, immigrants. But now since the shipping of illegal immigrants voluntarily to major cities like D.C., Chicago, most of all New York, and then Martha's Vineyard, thanks to the governor of Florida, people are paying attention again. How much does illegal immigrants matter? And I believe it does. When I saw Hochul call out the president to say Biden's got to take responsibility, there must be something on the internal polling that shows Democrats can't ignore it anymore. What are you sensing, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it's an issue that is resonating in a lot of areas, but particularly in the border areas. And and I always like to look at all these local races to see early smoke signals of what's happening in our politics. The Cook Report just moved two races that, that Hillary Clinton won by 20-plus points in 2016, moved them to toss-up races. That Demo- Democrats have held these districts for decades, and now Republicans either have momentum or actually the advantage. Where? Uh, in down the border in Texas, the Rio Grande oh, Valley, Texas, right okay. where right where Bill's been doing a lot of his, his great reporting. Um, that is a smoke signal about how potent the issue. These, these, are, these are majority Hispanic areas. These are areas that are taking the brunt of the disorder and, and the chaos along the, the, the U.S.-Mexico border. And you're seeing these dramatic swings towards the Republicans in, in these very areas. Josh Crasher, uh, thanks so much. What are the shows you going to do today? I'll be on with, uh, boy, I, Neil Cavuto on Fox Business. I'll be on with Martha McCallum this afternoon, breaking down all the all the polls, all the latest political developments in this, in this crazy election year. Yep, two great years, uh, two great shows. Thanks so much, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, when we come back, I'll open up the phones, one 408 7669 to finish up this hour. A lot of intrigue on 2022, the issues that need to be addressed. I care, I care about the election, but I mostly care about what are they going to do when they get there and de-dress the problem. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. President Biden spent the day here in Los Angeles, and we were thrilled about the traffic. Biden was in Brentwood tonight for a fundraiser with Nancy Pelosi, where tickets cost $5,000 per person. Five grand! For five grand, I better get to watch Biden and Pelosi fight in a UFC ring. Apparently, the fundraiser this evening got a little awkward. Biden told AIDS that he didn't understand why so many men his age in Brentwood had bought their granddaughters to the dinner instead of their wives. <laughs> Did he really say that? I'm pretty sure it was probably a joke. But, you know, <laughs> he could have also said that. You never he know. He just says the most inappropriate stuff. Hey, uh, Mike, listen to WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Listen, I'm for I'm for Durham getting to the bottom of Russia Gate. But but to sit here and listen to you and all your guests talk about Danchenko being charged with five counts of lying to the FBI. They should hire him. Everybody in the FBI, Brian, is a liar. You look at (laughs) Comey and Rosenstein. In fact, they did hire him. They paid him to lie to him. But Comey and Rosenstein lied to the FISA court. You got Baker, you got McCabe, you got Page, you got Strzok. Everybody on the seventh floor of the FBI is a big liar. And what are we doing about that, Brian? Well, I will say this. This is what's going to happen. If they get the house and they get the house, you'll see these whistleblowers front and center. And that's what we need. The, The good people at the FBI reporting the political partisans who are just hacks and evil and end up with MSNBC contracts. Thank Mike. Don't don't lose faith. Bruce. You're listening in York, Pennsylvania. Hey, Bruce. Thank you. I'm glad what that guy just said. It kind of relates to what I was going to talk about. You know how we had the trial before in D.C., and three of the juries were, like, so bad. I mean, one of them said, I don't give a shit if he lies to the FBI. I don't give a damn. He's not guilty. Okay, there's my point. When they bring these trials, and thank God justice finally comes, and we're getting these trials out there. Sooner or later, the truth comes out. But if you bring it to a courtroom where the judges and the people in the courtroom are siding in one way. Gotcha. Uh, I, I hear the frustration, hear the passion, understand it. Hey, by the way, if you want to hear some passion, frustration, and sound out, sound off, uh, meet me on stage, uh, BrianKillMe.com. I'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma on the 13th, on the 12th in Brandon, Mississippi. And December 2nd, Friday night, I'll be uh, in Newark, New Jersey. See you there. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody, and being with us all week long. We appreciate each and every one of you. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, of course, if you want to, uh, I, if you want more of me and who doesn't, please watch One Nation Saturday night, 8 o'clock. I think we have a great lineup. 
It's going to include Dana Perino, Mark Levin, who's going to be on the show, Kellyanne Conway, some of your all-time favorites. Uh, Raymond Arroyo is going to news duel it out with us as well. And I cannot wait for this. Gary Kasparov. Uh, I want to find out what's happening with Vladimir Putin. The, the, the battlefield tactics are great and informative and interesting. But if anybody knows what's going on with his inner circle, how this man who started this war and cost about 60 and 80,000 lives and will cost even more while he's just destroying uh, innocent people in Ukraine who did nothing to him except live. Uh, to me, I just don't know how he stays in power. Gary Kasparov will join us, the chess champion turned activist who now lives in New York. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The FBI ran amok under the Comey leadership. They utilized both myself and the Steele dossier to continue to get warrants with absolutely no foundation. And they turned this country upside down. Yeah, that's George Papadopoulos on with Sean Hannity last night. Stunning. That's how I characterize what's happening at the Durham trial. And I'll discuss that with Andy McCarthy. Number two. The foundation of what we announced yesterday is to reduce the, num- the amount of irregular migration so that people can avail themselves of the lawful pathway. Do you know what he did? He told people from Venezuela who are coming here illegally, if you sneak in without permission, without being screened, you're going to be banned. There's going to be certain criteria. If you reach that criteria, we'll fly you into the country. If not, remain in Mexico. And I said, well, wow, a remain in Mexico policy just for Venezuelans. The problem is when we want to return them back to Mexico, Mexico says we don't want them. So they don't know of the agreement. Good job, guys. Number one. The Saudis have conveyed to us both privately uh, as well as publicly, um, their intention to reduce oil production. We made clear that that would be the wrong direction. He is so inspirational to hear talk, isn't he? Anthony Blinken, blame Saudi Arabia, vilify Republicans. Nothing's my responsibility. 40-year high. The whole world's in recession. We're just one of them. It's going to get better, but it hasn't. And he said that inflation, the thief, would be transitory, and it's not. One year later. With me right now is Andy McCarthy, uh, joining us, uh, uh, who's been overworked lately. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts in for time and a half, because you do at one point become eligible for overtime. You realize that, Andy? It's Evidently, Brian, it's not as lucrative as being an FBI informant, but I guess I'll take it. Right. How about this? Put together a questionable dossier and make the FBI pay you a million dollars to get it right. And and this, I, I I'm astounded by it. I, I, because I'm seeing it in this about 10 great stories this week, but I don't care if Deshenko's convicted or not. I mean, you call me crazy. What has been exposed in the Sussman trial and now this has verified everything that people suspected about what was going on for the last two years. Why you wrote the book you wrote, Ball of Collusion, uh, with the whole Mueller report and the Russian hoax. So for you to find out that a million dollars was offered to Christopher Steele to verify his dossier, what was... Where was your jaw when that was announced? Uh, Pretty low. Um, And and I think, Brian, the reason is because it's tantamount to saying – now, we should frame this in a timeline for people so they understand how outrageous it is. They started getting information from Steele in around June of 2016, the Bureau did. And they get all these reports, including his – not only the uh, you know the infamous peace ta- tape stuff, 
But all this nonsense about how there was a conspiracy of cooperation between Trump and Putin, and Trump was going to take Ukraine off the table as an issue if, to, to scratch Putin's back, and uh, Putin was going to help Trump with the election, with leaks and all that jazz. So um, they've get, they're getting this reporting for five months. They sit him down in Rome in October of 2016, and that's where they, start, they offer him a million dollars to corroborate the stuff. So when you say that, it's tantamount to saying you've said a lot of stuff, but you, there's no proof. Um, so they understand that it's not verified. Now, why is this important? Because October, 6, uh, October 2016 is also when they go to the FISA report, uh, court. And under federal law and under U.S. court rules, you have to verify information before you bring it to the FISA court, because unlike a regular criminal court, in FISA, everything is classified and no one ever gets any due process. So the Bureau has a higher obligation to make sure that when they bring stuff to the court, they've made sure that they have good reason to believe it's true before they allege it. So they're offering to pay the guy a million dollars which is basically saying you haven't verified the information. Then they go to the FISA court under oath, not once, but twice at that point, and use his information to get surveillance warrants. Then in, in the late January of 2017, they finally get around to what they should have done in the first place, which is interview the main source for Steele, and he tells them that the information is complete nonsense. So what do they do? Do they go back to the FISA court and say, gee, judges, sorry, we got it wrong? No, they continue to rely on Steele's information. And this is, this is my favorite part that what makes me want to shoot myself. They tell the court they had now, in an effort to further corroborate Steele, they've interviewed his main subsource. P.S., he hasn't been corroborated at all at that point. Uh, and what they tell the court about Danchenko is we interviewed him and we found him to be cooperative and truthful. But what they leave out is that he was cooperative and truthful about the fact that Steele's information was nonsense. And they go back and they get two more surveillance warrants under oath. I mean, you just can't even make it up. So I want to underline that. I'm being truthful in saying the document is not truthful. So I'm Correct. telling you, I'm well, being honest to say this is they not true. <laughs> when they went to the court. Yeah, it's inc so insane. They the court to believe that they interviewed Danchenko in an effort to further corroborate Steele, who hadn't been corroborated at all, and they tell him, and we found, we found Danchenko, the subsource, to be cooperative and truthful. So if you're a judge and you're reading that, you say to yourself, oh, well, they must have corroborated Steele then. Yeah. <laughs> but what they left out was that he completely undermined Steele. They just didn't tell the court that. And there's no hell to pay. And, and the whole time I'm thinking this. If we're examining these FISA applications to say, excuse me, uh, you walk into a judge and you have the authority of the FBI and I have your word that what you give me before I make a judgment is the truth. I take it. I look at the document. There's no counter argument the way the FISA court set up. I come back and say, OK, from what I read, if this is the truth, you now have your FISA application approved and reapproved and reapproved. But it's all based on integrity and we don't have any. And do you think this is an isolated incident? Or would, your, would logic slip into Andy McCarthy's life and say there's got to be other times where an FBI, in an effort to do whatever the hell they want on hunches they may have or agendas they want to fulfill, go to the FISA court just to get something green-lighted and put anything they want down there 
because one guy got a slap on the wrist for changing that guy, Kleinsmith, on the FISA application. Can we back up a second, uh, a second time and look at Dushenko's source? So Dushenko's the source for Steele. Steele can't go back to the Russia or get arrested. So he has to use sources in Russia. So Dushenko ends up being a paid source for the FBI. But let's back up. Charles Dolan. What was exposed yesterday about Charles Dolan? Yeah, well, so there's there's two sets of false statements counts in this trial. One is basically concealing Danchenko concealing a source of some information, and the other, which refers to this guy named Sergey Million, is about making up Million as a source when he actually didn't speak to Million. So with Dolan, what happened was. This is not of, of great importance in terms of substance, but it, it shows you how lax the FBI was here. Uh, basically, what what happened was Danchenko reached out to Dolan to ask about what was going on in the Trump campaign at the time that they booted uh, Paul Manafort. I think it was August or so of 2016 when Manafort was pushed out of the campaign. It may have been July. Um, and what Dolan does is t- gets back to uh, Danchenko and says to him, I've checked with a Republican friend of mine, and here's what happened. And it turned out that there was infighting in the Trump campaign. Blah, blah. And I remember reading it, it, that and saying, that was reported like in every newspaper in America when right. that all happened. So, well, P.S., we find out the testimony that Dolan now admits that he didn't actually have a Republican Party source. He was watching the news. And he told Danchenko what he picked up doing the same thing you and I do, Brian. We, like, take it in the media. And then Danchenko feeds it to, to Steele, um, but they don't admit that uh, Dolan is the source of it. And then when the FBI later interviews Danchenko, they ask him, did you ever talk to Dolan about anything that was in the dossier? And he said, you know, as far as the allegations in the dossier, no. But it's a little vague because he also told them, you know, we talked we talk kind of around the subject, but nothing that's actually like in the in the dossier. So, so, it's, so it's also that's important. That's a very Dol- weak count. It's going to be a tough one for for, uh, for right. Durham to win. But at the same time, you know, if you're the FBI, how do you not find that out? If you're actually competently interviewing Danchenko, how do you not know where this is all coming from? But, you know, Brian, what the agents testified yesterday is the the handling agent for Danchenko, who paid him $200,000 and wanted to pay him another $346,000 when that got nixed. It turned out he didn't even know that in 2009, the Bureau had a case on Danchenko on suspicion that he was a Russian spy. But yeah, he was paid. He was working for FBI. Danchenko was working for the FBI. Um, They signed him up as an informant after the whole debacle with Steele, why they would side him up at that point, I don't know. But they said he was giving them very important information about Russia's efforts to destabilize our society. Now, in the meantime, I haven't seen any cases come out about that. Um, Who knows what Danchenko's doing? Would you rely on them telling you that Danchenko had provided important information uh, about Russia trying to, you know, undermine us when these are the same guys who were like in the middle of the uh, of the uh, whole, you know, telling the pre- telling the FISA court that the president of the United States was a Russian asset. You well, can't believe a word any of these guys say. I know at home sometimes this gets confusing, 
But just know that Charles Dolan also had big Russian connections from dating back to the Yeltsin-Clinton days. So he was able yeah. to move around in Russia where Steele couldn't. Uh, so he's that's providing exactly information exactly. on a, politi- with politi- a political information because he definitely had an agenda. So how does this relate to Hunter? I thought uh, Jim Jordan linked it well last night. Cut 21. What I think is interesting, though, is the guy who testified to all that yesterday and today also happens to be the name that pops up from the whistleblower who went to Senator Grassley, who said two years ago this month, there was a group at the FBI who suppressed the Hunter Biden story. And the same witness who testified to all that in court yesterday and today was the guy involved in suppressing that information that was critical for the nation to have just weeks before the most important election we do, which is the presidential election. So that is our FBI. I'm frankly at the point where I don't know who you can believe at the FBI. I think that's where the country is. And I think they're going to factor that into the election uh, just 26 days from uh, from today. So do you see, I mean, the same people said, okay, in 2020, Trump could be winning. We got to make sure that doesn't happen. This laptop could flip things literally. So we got to say it's Russian disinformation and we got to make sure no one publishes it. And they had success. They signed up 51 CIA operatives of four directors to say this is classic Russian disinformation. You know what was classic? Crackhead kid with a with who's in a in a in a, a drug stupor dropped off a laptop at an independent computer repair shop. That's that or Russian disinformation. I can't figure out which one it is. Yeah, well, Brian, if if anything, the story gets worse even than Jim Jordan uh, described. Um, the agent he's talking about is named Brian Doughton, and he's a supervisory intelligence analyst at the bureau. He's the one who interviews Danchenko, they find out that Danchenko completely undermines Steele's information that they can't corroborate, and yet they don't bring that information to the FISA court. So get this. Because of the Steele debacle, Chris Ray, the director of the FBI, uh, refers Doughton for internal discipline, for an Office of Professional Responsibility investigation where they're going to look into his misconduct and propose like some uh, – you know, like whether he should be suspended or fired or whatever. While he's under that investigation, the FBI drafts him into the Hunter Biden thing. And they ask him to do an analysis of the information that Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, the two Republican senators, have been collecting about Hunter. And he writes an assessment from which they conclude that this is all Russian disinformation, from which, of course, as you just described, this whole narrative for dismissing all the Hunter Biden derogatory information as Russian misinformation comes. So, you know, I mean, the Hunter thing doesn't have any attendance of of Russian disinformation. They said that was Russian disinformation. And yet, you know, what they want to say with respect to Trump, they get a bunch of information that's total nonsense. And they say, this is the Russian inculpatory information. Keystone Uh, cops. he, uh, Keystone I, cops or 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 deliberately devious uh, and manipulative, and they've definitely if that that this affects elections, uh, not some crazy schemes about what happened in certain voting machines in different states. These are the types of things we should be investigating. The other stuff was was a dry hole, obviously. Uh, Andy, no one's duped you. You've been all over this, and we're going to follow the dorm. I don't care about the conviction. I want I want the revelations. Andy McCarthy, thanks yep. so much. Thanks, Brian. Uh, when we come back, all you guys, I see you up there, one 408 Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Dana Perino came in one minute early just to show that she could be early. I think it's a great character uh, trait that you have. You? Are you ever late? Never. Really? You always you are. You know that um, when you work for Bush, for President Bush 43, you had to be ready to be like even 25 minutes early. Wow. Because when he was ready to go, he was ready to go. Do you think he was like that in high school, too? Wasn't he a bit of a crazy guy uh, in high school? I don't know about high school. I, mean, I would actually be interested in asking him about that because I think, I don't know. I don't know. Because part of the discipline, part of the Bush discipline is showing up early, but part of the whole thing was he was a little bit of not a crazy until, guy. Maybe not until he was ready to like, get his act together. Right, after yeah. a couple of uh, yeah. stays in But his did. dad was a stickler for that, too. Being and so time. was my grandfather. So, But I, yeah, I run early. Do you know, I have a lot of um, work nightmares. Of? Being late. Being late. Well, as a Which morning is weird show guy, because I'm never late. But it, maybe that's it. Maybe it's your conscience saying don't let that ever happen that allows you never to be, let it happen. You know, during the UNGA, when there's all that terrible traffic in yeah. New York, Ryan, I was, I was almost late. I got out of my car and started running down the street in my jumpsuit and because? my heels. Because I wasn't going to make it, and I had to get on the subway. I had to jump across a puddle of, you know what? I mean, it's a terrible and situation. And you did it. I got here. You, did you take a subway? I did. Wow. You knew the subways in New York before you were in New York? No, this was just like last week. Oh, last week. Oh, I'm thinking like you in with <laughs> no. the bush. Oh, with W. I did not know that. Uh, Dana Perino, when we come back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. In response to the wild charges of Lieutenant Governor Barnes, the FBI set me up with a corrupt, with a corrupt briefing, and then leaked that to smear me. I am. No, I mean, right, let's, I'm sorry. Let's I'm sorry. I, I mean, all right. He is referring to corruption with the FBI, which I have been trying to uncover and expose. All right. All right. So, do we have time for? Please. So they left. Uh, Dana Prino with us right now. And you know what Senator Ron Johnson's been able to expose. You know about the whistleblowers that have come forward from the FBI to him. You've seen, if you are paying attention to the Durham trial, you see the corruption at its core that's been exposed. And you've seen what happened over the last few years with McCabe uh, and Strzok and others. But yet they laugh in Wisconsin. They don't understand the foundation behind it. It's absolutely true, Dana. I can't. I hadn't heard that until just now that they laughed. And But, you know, I, we played a different soundbite uh, from that debate on Newsroom. And they laughed during that, too. So I wonder if the Democrats in the audience had a plan, right, to try to just help Mandela Barnes, who is basically helpless at the moment. He's not going to win. Well, he, want, he wants Obama win. to help him out. Right. Well, that's well, I, I and I bet Obama doesn't go because he knows Mandela Barnes is going to lose. Um, and Ron Johnson is actually answering this question on the very day that we learned that the John Durham investigation is not just having Danchenko on trial, but the FBI is really on trial. Here And it's really distressing to find out what had happened during that time. Andy McCarthy on America's Newsroom just this morning, I asked him, what would you do? Do you think it's improved since 2016? Is it better now? And he goes, marginally, maybe, yes. He said, but he thinks that the intelligence part, the international intelligence part, the spying part of the FBI should be taken away from them and that they should go back to being purely law enforcement. That's a big, big decision and it would be a bold move, but somebody like Andy McCarthy, who has great respect for law enforcement, and as a 
former district attorney or U.S. assistant U.S. attorney here in the Southern District of New York had to work with the FBI a lot. That's a that's a big step to take, and it, he doesn't do it with pleasure, and he's certainly not laughing about it. We uh, we just had Andy on too uh, because we thought we could do it better than you guys. So oh, I'm no, no yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, no, we just, <laughs> we just had him on, and I'm just astounded about the revelations. I'm not even. I don't care about the conviction. I don't care about Michael Sussman not being convicted. What was exposed right. at that trial to me told everything that you suspected that people thought were crazy tinfoil hat theories. Sadly, was correct. And then it comes out the whole Steele dossier, the fact that it was used to get a FISA warrant. Yeah. And the fact is they couldn't verify it, and the FBI knew they couldn't verify it. And just an ad, just a question to you. When James Comey pulls Donald Trump aside when he was president-elect and says, I just want to tell you there's a, there's a document out there that says that all these horrible things happen, and I just want to tell you that this is going to be coming out soon. The press got a hold of it. Do you think he knew it wasn't true? I, I don't know. I do think that the reason he told the president that the – press had already had it is because he probably gave it to them or was about to. And on a briefing like that, as I understand it from my past experience, that the FBI can't go public with some information until the person, the target, the subject is informed. So do you see what I'm saying? So Comey had to tell President Trump in order to be able to leak it. What I don't understand is Comey's a Republican, they said, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, Trump is just a brand new character they just had to get rid of, I guess. So if someone hands him this, he's got all this years of experience, he's a lawyer, and he looks at this and says, is any of this true? Does it, when the door is closed, they say, uh, Mr. Director, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I talked to Christopher Steele, and he doesn't stand behind it. And does, does James Comey say, use it anyway? Or does he say, uh, boss? This document is true. It's red hot. The country's security is at risk. This is unbelievable. I guess you technically got to brief the president, but we have to find out about it. John McCain drops it off at the FBI and says, you know, drops it off and says it's true. He thinks it's true. Is Comey duped? Is everyone underneath him duping the director like he's the Queen of England? <laughs> or is the Queen of England's all six foot nine inches of him actually the, the prime minister? Is he the duper? Right. Does, does that intrigue you at all? Because like- he's able to go in front of yeah. – yeah, I know. You know, I, I and you know him because he was assistant director at the FBI when when you guys. Well, were... no, he was he was deputy attorney general under. Oh, I thought he was under Mueller as deputy. Uh, Comey. FBI. Yeah. No, no, uh, he was under um, Ashcroft. Okay, you're right. Remember, deputy yep. attorney general, right. and he's the one remember who went famously to the hospital where we're trying to re up the president of the United States was trying to re up the uh, spine capabilities. On terrorists. And Ashcroft had a. And Ashcroft was incapacitated because he was at the hospital, and Comey went to the hospital. It was just a terrible situation. I mean, I mean, and I don't think that that's partisan, Republican or Democrat or not. I just, I I look back on that and think that was my kind of my first exposure to him. A couple other things. You know, when you're a leader, you could take a responsibility, and you also got to be politically savvy and say, okay, I had to win an election. I want you to hear. With President Biden saying about our relationship with Saudi Arabia as if they're to blame, cut one. What's your message to Saudi Arabia about this? We're about to talk to you. We're about to talk to you. We're about to talk to you. In what, what way, sir? What are you going to say? Stay tuned. John Kirby, cut two. 
Yeah, arms sales. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely going to be on the table, uh, Neil. I, I can tell you that that will be an option that, that the president looks at, is the, the spate and the scale, the size, the, uh, the whole program of arms sales to But is to there Saudi any Arabia. fear that in doing something like that, John, they just run to the Russians or the Chinese and that we don't want to do that? Well, part of the calculus when you think about uh, arms sales is, you know, you have to remember that the, the kinds of capabilities we give Saudi Arabia is, is not just to Saudi Arabia's benefit. Uh, we derive some benefit from that as well. Sure. There's 70,000 Americans that live there. Uh, now, look, I mean, again, we haven't made any decisions, so I don't want to get ahead of where we are. But arms sales will certainly be one of the options that we'll take Eric, a look you can at. Bring to it down. So, so he's, they vilified Republican, not Republicans, they vilified Saudi Arabia as the reason that gas prices are going up. Vladimir Putin's price hike is the reason why oil uh, and gas go up. When OPEC has done this for the my whole life, they've always been pulling back in, in production. Why are we going after our relation, our transactional relationship with Saudi Arabia? And don't they know that means at the it's either Iran or Saudi Arabia? You can't have both, and you can't have one. I talked to a friend of mine who was um, a national security guy in our world back in the Bush administration, and he said he cannot believe that the Biden administration is taking us back to where we were before September 11th. Absolutely, and the danger in that, right? And and the, the consequences of it are pushing the Saudis closer to China and Russia. So this is not very deft diplomacy. Not only that, the fact that the document came out that's, I guess it's slightly in dispute, but I couldn't believe the Saudis, that the Biden administration asked OPEC to wait a month. Came out yesterday morning. That's political. Isn't that exactly what the Democrats would have wanted to impeach Trump over that? And the Saudis came back, and they're playing this game. They're playing a tight game, they're too. Playing hard. They're playing hardball. They're playing hardball, and I will say this. They understand our system. They do understand our system well. They know when election's coming up. Sure. And they, yeah, they well, and they the know belt. the election was coming up. And, right, exactly. So they were going to put the squeeze on. That's a good point. But, a good but point. the other thing is, Dan, I'm just amazed at how no one plays a move ahead. Right. When you, I sometimes know when you get on the stump, you have to say things to get elected, and then you quickly yeah. mend it. And famously, JFK, when he's running about a new generation, trying to get the old guys out, as soon as he wins election, he goes and sees Eisenhower. Mm. And he says, listen, you know I had to do right. that. Right. I have great respect for you. Yeah. So when he goes out and says they're a pariah nation, I'm thinking to myself, what's our alternative? Do you, and it is. He went back to Iran. Iran, well, they're idiots. They have not taken the best deal they'll ever get in their life that's almost ready to evaporate, just just time out. While all this unrest happens and they kill 200 of their people who just want rights, these these people call women, mm-hmm. who want a, a place in society. So doesn't he understand when you do pariah nation and then when you say we're going to sanction you and we're going to stop with missile defense for you, what is your next move? What is your next I don't move? I know. That's like the Biden diplomacy tool. It's just a blunt instrument. And it's obliterating yeah. uh, our relationships. And also the other thing is there is new leadership in Saudi as well. And that relationship will have to be managed. And he's a young man. MBS is a young man. What is he's, Not he's, going he's, anywhere. He's in his mid-30s. Yeah. He's going to be there for probably 70 more years, 60 more years. So, and so the, the, the great answer to that would have been, uh, well, we are going to unleash America's energy oil independence again. But I I don't know. It's like beating your head against the wall thinking of why doesn't the administration do something that's commonsensical. Here's uh, Joe Lieberman, who used to be a Democrat. Cut five. In my opinion, to stop the tit for tat between the U.S. and the Saudis, on balance, uh, since the 1930s, have been good allies of ours. We, We really have to sit down with them and talk about it before we start 
punishing them because there is the risk that we're going to drive them uh, into the arms of, of China and Russia, where, where they really don't want to go. And uh, I, I think we can develop a better relationship. Again, if you just ask people how the Abraham Accords happened, it's because Saudi green-lighted it, and it was about to be done with Israel and Saudi Arabia had Trump got reelected. Yeah, and I remember learning from Steve Hadley, national security advisor under Bush, and he had been the deputy to Condi. He said something wise, and that was that you should praise your friends in public and criticize them in private. And so what Biden did is he flipped that around, right? So he's calling them a pariah nation, but then in private being like no hard feelings, right? So I think you do what I do. A lot. I always go to. I always am noteworthy when people are normally allies come out and are critical of a policy. For example, when when um, a longtime friend of Bush forty one came out against the war, Scowcroft. Scowcroft. That that to me is newsworthy. Okay, yeah. why would he do that? Because yeah. no agenda, he just cares about the country. When Jamie Dimon, who's hardly an aide of the right, comes out and says, in March, we should have known when this war started, we have to increase production, refinery capacity, and fracking, and we didn't do it. We put ourselves in this. We should be the swing oil producer. Instead, I don't know what he's doing. People are like, well, he's never been that bright. Listen, I'm not asking you to take the SATs or a Mensa exam. I'm just saying be politically savvy, street smart, and say, yeah, I'm I'm going to— I'm going to get murdered in the midterms if the if my if the American people are paying five dollars for gas. So let's increase production. Maybe not announce it so they'll upset my left, but announce let's increase production instead. I'm going to I'm going to vilify gas station owners for gouging, and and gas companies for making too much profit. But you won't let them produce more products, so the profit goes up. I think that you're going to see a lot of that next week from the Biden administration. They are going to go directly after the oil companies. One of the things that the press secretary this week signaled was that it's a patriotic duty for oil companies to charge less to Americans. On this topic, Michael Bennett, Axios writes today that Michael Bennett got a big benefit when the president of the United States won over to Colorado and and bestowed this federal land, 460 miles essentially to be federal land that cannot be touched. It's going to be a, a major national park. And they said, what a victory for Michael Bennett. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I, don't, I can't name 10 people in Colorado. You, do, you can. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people in Colorado probably want oil and gas jobs. And a lot of them don't want to pay $5 for gas. Why is Michael, benefit, uh, Michael Bennett going to benefit in a state in which he's, he's got a, kind of a Republican right on his heels? Why does he benefit from that? Are you that oblivious to think that there, everybody wants to pay a lot of money for oil and gas and everybody thinks the earth is going to burn up in 10 days? Right. I think I read that same piece in Axios this morning and I laughed a little bit because I thought, well, if that's your victory, they said that's a victory for Michael Bennett. They like, victory. Maybe, but how long does that last? That's like a, that's like a cotton candy sugar high. Right. Who's going to remember that tomorrow? Well, who's going to remember when you pump gas? There's a lot of independence in this country. And there's Most, of, the majority of people are independent. Right. And there's a lot of people that, you know, go, listen, there's a practical way in my life. You, mm. tell, you tell people air, AC doesn't work and the heat can't be used and I can't plug in my electric car. After a while, I'm going, why is my life screwed up again? Why am I living like it's 1910? And the independents are mostly in the suburbs. And what do you have to do in the suburbs when you have to get kids to soccer practice and stuff? The carpool. Drive. You have to and, drive. You know, and a lot of some people can't afford to do $85 to, to fill up the tank and it's not a problem. That, that's not that many people. 
in the country. Right. And then when you see these people, six out of 10 live paycheck to paycheck. And then you see those numbers of people. And I like to see it when we don't have a recession looming. But how many people aren't paying at least one bill? You hear that. And that's where you got to tap into, not just say it, but tap into it. Uh, listen, when we come back a few more minutes with Dana Prino, and Dana Prino has never seen her so excited with all the things happening in her life. The fact that she's going to be on One Nation Saturday at 8 o'clock and we're going to repeat it at 11 has her more excited than she's ever been, including being named press secretary. These are her <laughs> words that she almost said. Actually was thinking she never said it, but I hope she feels that way. Back in a moment. <laughs> this weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Yeah, Brian Kilmeade. He's got a new show on Saturdays because apparently He's cheaper than infomercials for non-stick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You and Mike Tomlin are two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, We don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well, and I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that when young aspiring coaches or even football players, they see you guys, you know, they see someone that looks like them, maybe grew up like them, that has to mean something. Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. So as a black coach, uh, he's got a second shot in five years. He was with the Jets, got f- fired, uh, won't become defensive coordinator of the Bucks. takes over the job, and people are talking about uh, two black coaches coaching against each other. Dana, I know this is sports and life. I know you love sports. I love sports. So I wanted to blend that in with real life. Mm-hmm. I loved his answer. I don't know, I don't know if we would have heard that answer a couple of years ago. It makes me feel more optimistic that things are getting better. Am I right? I feel that way. I feel like we're turning a corner, right, that the um – Obsession with race is not it, one. It, it didn't advance us, right? And it, a lot of people felt like it was pulling them backwards. And we have a lot of challenges in this country. Um, racism still exists, of course it does. But we have made great strides, and the way to make great strides continue uh, into the future is to figure out a way to work together and right. not be obsessed with it. Because it is, it can be a hindrance. You walk around every day looking for injustice in your life and why you're not achieving what you're achieving or have what you want and don't have. To continue to say it's racial or something to do with the gender, I think just plays into America being in an awful slump. And I just see us, I don't see, for example, we had the World Cup, everyone for the World Cup yesterday. I don't fear them taking a knee anymore. I don't fear that happening on Veterans Day anymore in a football game. I think that I'll take little strides. It's like the it's like the fever is broken. I hope. I hope so too. Right. I'm not saying we're there yet, but I'm saying I'm hoping and I think with the minute people stop with the obsession, the better it gets. The big thing is going to be this affirmative actions decision oh, yes. on the Supreme Court. And I know a lot you, about it. And why do you think about it? what do you think? Well, it could upend not just college affirmative action, but it, would, it might make companies all across America have to rethink things. And remember that rule, that law in California that got passed 
that said you had to have a certain number of people on the board, that also might get tossed out. Wow. And just say level playing field for everyone. Um, and it's time just to compete. I think it would be a win for everybody. But we'll see what the Supreme Court says. And we'll have something to complain about yes, or talk okay. about. All right, Dana, I'll see you on One Nation Saturday night. Can't wait. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.